Hello, and welcome to the Parabola Podcast. I'm story editor Betsy Cornwell. This episode, we'll be looking at the new winter 2021 issue of Parabola, The Golden Rule, and we'll begin with the focus from editor Jeff Zaleski. One going to take a pointed stick to pinch a baby bird should first try it on himself to feel how it hurts. This Yoruba proverb is one of hundreds of iterations of the golden rule around the globe and through human history. Given the prevalence of the rule often expressed in Western culture as do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we can consider it the universal human ethic distilled from the well of humanity's conscience. Yet the golden rule is more than an ethic. It also offers a golden path. As we engage with it and its wish, It can offer a way to self-knowledge and to the awakening of mind, heart, body, as explored in Stephen Aronson's The Golden Rule and the Transformation of Being, the opening essay in this winter 2021-2022 issue of Parabola. Myriad aspects and lore of the Golden Rule are considered throughout these pages, from Confucian wisdom on doing the right thing to the captivating story of how painting the rule changed everything for renowned artist Norman Rockwell. From an exchange of letters on friendship between a journalist and a Trappist monk, to a stirring story of compassion and respect between bear and human. There are cautionary tales here, too, one a memorable Hanukkah lesson, and the other a deep look at what can happen when the golden rule is ignored in spiritual work. These pages also feature an enjoyable and ready-to-assemble magic device to teach the Golden Rule, and a conversation with its creator, magician Stefan Sewell. In addition, Parabola is proud to again present the annual winners of the Poetry of the Sacred Contest, chosen by the Center for Interfaith Relations. Our gratitude to Bonnie Phillips and the Golden Rule Project for their help and support on this issue, which we hope will serve all readers well. We'll turn now to a selection from the annual winners of the Poetry of the Sacred Contest. Beast of Burden by Sophia Skavdal. I carried the virgin for seven days through wet grasses, green slopes. Each stone poised on the path was an opportunity for me to misstep. At my own birth, an angel said to me, you will enter the pasture of God so long as you do the work I ask of you. First it was bushels, dried figs, red bricks, then her. The weight was different, the night warmer, every branch bowed away from us, shyly into itself. Later, just under my nose, the boy I laid in the same manger I ate from, while his mother steadied herself on my shoulder, the two of us no longer certain of our place.
We'll turn now to Norman Rockwell and the Call of Conscience by Kim Wagner-Hems. As an art historian and former art humanities educator, I don't recall ever having attended a lecture on Norman Rockwell, nor referencing the artist in any of my classroom presentations. He never seemed all that relevant. That was before I learned about his transformation into a social liberal during the 1960s, beginning with a painting of his titled Golden Rule. Completed in 1961, the painting was Rockwell's first foray into polemical art. Initially inspired in 1952 by the United Nations agenda to maintain peace among the world's nations, Rockwell began drawing his original Golden Rule illustration in 1953. His first attempt was an ambitious one comprised of 65 world ambassadors. However, Rockwell eventually lost faith in the project and abandoned it for several years when he revisited the subject with fresh eyes. Little did he know how his new composition depicting a global community coexisting in peace would strike fear in so many Americans. For Rockwell, what had once seemed cold and uninspired took on a life of its own as he replaced the generic delegates of the original illustration with the faces of the actual people they represented. Now, instead of the portrait of the figureheads appointed to represent each global nation, it became a symbol of our human connectedness, featuring a gathering of individuals representing different ages, genders, races, ethnicities, and religions. One of his most controversial figures would be a sweet-faced, unassuming African-American schoolgirl. Wearing what looks like a traditional school uniform of white button-down shirt and plaid jumper, she holds her school books up to her chest with her hands folded under her chin as if in prayer. Segregationists of the time immediately recognized Rockwell's reference to Ruby Bridges, a six-year-old African-American girl who was among the first group of children to begin desegregating the New Orleans schools in 1960. The reactions to Bridges had been so violent that she had needed to be escorted to school by U.S. Marshals. Although the response to Rockwell's incendiary cover was not nearly as volatile as the television debut of Ruby Bridges walking up the steps of the William France Elementary School, Rockwell did receive his first hate mail in 45 years of working with the Saturday Evening Post. For the first time since Rockwell's debut with the magazine in 1916, which had produced over 300 of his subsequent cover illustrations, his subject matter now sparked fear and anger in the hearts of many subscribers. Rockwell had crossed a line with his April 1961 cover illustration of Golden Rule, breaking the Post's practice against featuring African Americans as anything more than unskilled labor. What inspired Rockwell to rebel and go against the grain of his longtime employer? In his own words, I'd been reading up on comparative religion, the thing that all major religions have the golden rule in common, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not always the same words, but the same meaning. Rockwell's relationship with the magazine had already begun to decline. Its editors considered his work to be dated, and they had no interest in his newfound attraction to inflammatory social commentary. Shortly thereafter, the magazine announced its plans to feature art of a more abstract nature. Yet even though Rockwell complied with his January 1962 cover, The Connoisseur, which was well-received, his position was downgraded five months later to producing only portraits of statesmen and the occasional celebrities. 
At first, Rockwell tried to toe the line with the Post's management, afraid to cut his ties with the magazine he had been with for over 45 years. After many months of soul-searching, he decided he would rather die doing something worthwhile than continue to humiliate himself. Further influenced by the era's intense spotlight on racial inequality and civil rights activism, he finally made up his mind by the fall of 1963 and wrote to the current art director at the Post with his letter of resignation. As he explained to the Post, the work he was now called to do no longer fit within the parameters of the magazine's key demographic audience. Over the course of the next 10 years, he would continue to spread awareness of the golden rule of moral decency and illustrate his concerns about America's civil rights, world peace, and the war on poverty, but now for Look magazine. For his inaugural cover of 1964, The Problem We All Live With, he chose to feature Ruby Bridges being escorted to her first grade classroom at an all-white school by the U.S. Marshals. This was followed by his 1965 cover, Murder in Mississippi, illustrating the killing of three civil rights workers by Klansmen and local police in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Although Rockwell's 1967 cover, New Kids in the Neighborhood, revisited the subject of desegregation, racial equality wasn't his only passion project. He was also an activist for world peace and vehemently opposed to the Vietnam War, as seen in his 1966 cover, The Peace Corps, JFK's Bold Legacy, and his 1968 cover, The Right to Know. A man who was once seen as the champion of traditional white middle-class American values became known as an advocate for world peace, racial equality, and justice. Ashamed to admit he had once painted out an African-American individual in a group portrait at the behest of the Saturday Evening Post, he was quoted in an interview at age 75, saying, For 47 years I portrayed the best of all possible worlds, grandfathers, puppy dogs, things like that. That kind of stuff is dead now, and I think it's about time. In 1977, a year before his death, Norman Rockwell received the ultimate civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, all because of one simple rule worth its weight in gold. So the next time you hear Norman Rockwell's art described as sentimental dribble with no artistic or social merit, please remember the adage called the golden rule and treat his legacy like you would want yours to be treated. Our final excerpt from this issue is Loving Kindness, the text of the Metasutta, translated by Lawrence Cantapalo Mills. The text was reportedly given by the Buddha to a group of monks to quell their fear regarding forest spirits. What should be done by one who is skilled in wholesomeness to gain the state of peacefulness is this. One should be able, upright, straight, and not proud, easy to speak to, mild and well-content, easily satisfied, and not caught up in too much bustle, and frugal in one's ways, with senses calmed, intelligent, not bold, not being covetous when with other folk, not even doing little things that otherwise ones blame, and this the thought that one should always hold, may beings all live happily and safe, and may their hearts rejoice within themselves, 
Whatever there may be, with breath of life, whether they be frail or very strong, without exception, be they long or short or middle-sized, or be big or small, or dense or visible or invisible, or whether they dwell far or they dwell near, those that are here, those seeking to exist, may beings all rejoice within themselves. Let no one bring about another's ruin, and not despise in any way or place. Let them not wish each other any ill from provocation or from enmity. Just as a mother, at the risk of life, loves and protects her child, her only child, so one should cultivate this boundless love to all that live in the whole universe, extending from a consciousness sublime, upwards and downwards and across the world, untroubled, free from hate and enmity. And while one stands and while one sits or while one lies down, still free from drowsiness, one should be intent on this mindfulness. This is divine abiding here, they say. But when one lives quite free from any view, is virtuous, with perfect insight one, and greed for selfish desires let go, one surely comes no more to be reborn. Our time for this episode has come to an end. You can find more free excerpts, purchase this issue, become a subscriber, or give a gift subscription at parabola.org. Parabola is an independent, nonprofit publication from the Society for the Study of Myth and Tradition. Our final thought for today comes from Epictetus, who said, When you would avoid suffering yourself, seek not to impose upon others. I'm Betsy Cornwell, and this has been the Parabola Podcast. Thank you for listening.